Right, we are live. Before we start with our guest Dylan here, we need to thank Customer Reptile Habitats. If you want premium PVC enclosures, head on over to the link in the description and head on over to Customer Reptile Habitats. They've recently just launched their new Bearded Dragon kits. They're like six by three by three with a Thermal Zoo Pro with it, with a substrate lip that's like a foot high that you can give them actual enough substrate for them to dig a burrow. The entire kit is like the best kit that's out now. And I'm not saying that just because we're sponsors. It generally generally is in terms of welfare. Um, so head on over to Customer to Habitats and pick up yourself one of those. But Dylan, thank you for joining our beta test live stream for a podcast episode. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be live. This is cool. It is cool. Let's see how well we do with this. So you were just telling us before, before we went live, you were telling us that you're going to go to an expo and do a live thing. What's that about? Yeah, so for any of the Canadian and even some American listeners are probably familiar with the Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo, which happens once a year in the fall in September in Toronto. And I guess it's probably the closest thing we have to the huge expos in the States. I've never been to a huge expo besides going to the CRBE, but the ones we have here are very small. So I can only imagine what the huge ones in the States are like. But anyway, the CRBE is similar to that. And I was asked to to come by as a sort of a, a content creator and we're going to do some live shows from the event. So I think I'm going to have a, a booth myself and we're going to do kind of like a round, not a round table, just a revolving door of, of guests. So people that have listened to the show for a long time, will see lots of familiar faces because lots of the people that have been on the show are either vending there or just are going to be there. And, and then, yeah, well then we'll see how it goes. I, I don't know. I've never done any, this is my first life. Well, I guess I've been a guest on some live things before as well, but I've done very little live content. So it does make me a little worried because there's obviously more uh, technical things that you have to worry about, but I think it'll be fun. So we'll try to talk to the people who are vending people, you know, ask just kind of basic questions. And then maybe we even talk to some of the people who are attending the show and, and whatnot. I think it'll be fun. So have you got a plan or is it just a case of we're just going to talk and see what happens? I, I will come up with some kind of plan. It's on my list of tomorrow just kind of start sketching out the people who i think i would like to have on you know people like ashley Dazan of northern light imports um that's cool, ryan yeah. mcveigh i assume will be there at VivTech. there'll be a, a bunch of people so i'll kind of have a rough idea of who i want on the show and then i'll also start sketching out some questions like i, I you know me i don't like to ask just like real basic stuff i hopefully can kind of come up with some questions that are a little bit more in depth and hopefully the audio in there is okay and everybody can kind of enjoy it and then it'll be up there forever once it's done so i think it'll be it'll be pretty cool that'd be really cool is it like literally on a stage and people are gonna be like looking at you on a stage or something no i, I think i'll have a booth that's basically just next to like a, a vendor you know i'll be squeezed in somewhere as if i'm a vendor selling morphs of ball pythons <laughs> and but instead of having uh snakes or lizards for sale i'll just have my computer set up and hopefully a couple chairs and a couple microphones like i'll bring my podcast set up and and uh, even for people who are just showing you know going to be there as a guest or an attendee i would love to have them drop by and, and say a couple words and and i might ask somebody who's going to be there to, to be an assistant of mine so if anyone's gonna if anyone's interested in being my assistant for the weekend to help me you know pull people in to to be on the on the show let me know That'd be Dirk. <laughs> Just Dirk yeah, going. <laughs> Dirk will fly in. Yeah, we've got some people in the comments here from where they're from. So we've got from India. That is mm, pretty cool. That's cool. And then we've got New York. Quebec at the top there. Quebec, yep. 
never catch us live. Well, we barely are never live. So this is like our prototype for being live. So it's quite exciting. So you haven't missed much, to be fair. Yeah, this is one of the first lives. We won't do the four-hour live stream like you did with them. No, <laughs> no, no. We'll do about two hours. <laughs> we won't go that far. So obviously you're yeah. going to be right next to like, obviously people just breeding and stuff. What are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk about like your philosophy for keeping and trying to advancement like you normally do? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like we, we were kind of saying before we went live, there's I've spoken out against expos, not not necessarily expos themselves, but just, you know, whether or not it's something that we should continue to be doing and or is there ways we can do it better? Obviously, there's a huge biosecurity issues that don't really get looked at and and just the conditions of the animals in general or, or just the impulse purchases and those sort of things. So I think I'll still I'm not going to change who I am or how I think about the hobby. I think I love expos because I love talking to people and I love meeting people and talking to other reptile community, community members and expos are the best place to do that. Like I've said several times, the last time I went to the Canadian reptile expo, I probably could have done without the animals, but just if the people were there, because you just get to learn so much and, and have amazing conversations. So that's what I'm just going to try to replicate the type of conversations that I would have table to table. I mean, last year when I went, I just, I was there both days, all day. So I just wandered around and talked to people. I, you know, I wasn't buying animals or anything and I didn't have any obligations. You know, I had friends who were running booths and whatnot, but I didn't have to do any of that. So I just got to like meander around and have interesting conversations with people. So I'm hoping to replicate that. And, and yeah, I will press some of my sort of ethical concerns or questions with expos themselves. And maybe there's w different ways we can do it better. I know, I already know there are people who are at the expo who have been on the show who are bringing new ideas to that expo for how to have animals displayed on their table in a more ethical way like i, I cannot wait to talk about that and get more into that with people and and like i said I, I don't want expos to disappear but i think we could always do things better it's obviously one of the main areas that animal rights people attack us for it's because it's mm -hmm. blatantly easy to take pictures of, of snakes in, in deli cups or lizards in deli cups and try to convince people that this is how they're cared for but are there ways that that's not we kind of pull that opportunity away from animal rights groups by just being better i think armin from herp time is a great example right he sells his anoles in little jars that are already like fully ready to go so you don't even have to buy an enclosure the the jar that the animal comes in can can keep that animal alive for probably several months because they're so small and you don't have to worry about this guy is he going to go home and buy you know what is he going to buy for this animal what's she going to buy is this an impulse purchase you can send them home with everything they need, which I love. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I definitely think it needs to be improved. So I wonder if um, there's going to be any sort of juxtaposition with some people that listening to your message. Um, I know that we would obviously have that in the UK. Mm, yeah. We don't go for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I think it'll be interesting at least, and there'll be lots to be learned, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be like... Um, new for a lot of people that are going to these things so i have particular opinions about expos but i don't know if i'll air them here me and ellie think a certain way but yeah. <laughs> we'll keep that one quiet um we'll look at some comments here so seems like people are trying to move forward but it's nowhere near where it needs to be and the biosecurity thing bothers me the most yeah yeah the biosecurity thing is a major problem and i don't i don't even know how you I mean, I think other like bird expos, I think, do a good job of making sure that that you know you're not bringing disease into the event. I, I don't exactly know how difficult that is to implement, and I also don't know how 
how serious of a problem are biosecurity issues. I mean, when I think about it, I assume it must be horrible, but maybe it's not. Maybe maybe going to the expo for 48 hours isn't enough to transmit much. I don't know. I mean, people aren't getting sick, but animals are, it's going to spread. I mean, there are things like nanovirus, which are very contagious and whatnot. So anything we can do better in that department is probably not a bad thing. I know people get mites from expos. Yeah. Yeah. Mites too. Yeah. So, that wouldn't be too keen on that. No, exactly. So, I mean, there are things like that. And, and even, even still, I think like I, I've heard of some people bringing like a full display for their adult breeders and setting, I mean, obviously it would be more of a temporary setup, but something that's easy to, to set up, maybe a flat pack thing. And then you can ha have some enrichment, something more naturalistic looking. And then you can show people what they're buying because quite often you don't know what you're buying, especially if you're a brand new to reptiles, you actually don't know what you're going home with. You can see the little lizard in the cup, but do you understand that it's going to turn into a two foot Egyptian Euromastix? Maybe not. I was at an expo a year and a half ago and somebody was buying a Euromastix and they are, had already purchased it. And they asked the person behind the table, what does this thing eat? And he said, I'm not sure. Just check Google. And so those are, you know, those are, if I was a reporter for animal rights, I would just be jotting that down and being like, this person's basically going to go home with a, an unidentified lizard, uh, unidentifiable lizard, as far as they're concerned, and no idea of how to care for it, which is like two major red strikes. So maybe display the adult enclosure and then only have a couple of babies there with the option to ship and, and you know, someone to buy and ship or something like that. I don't know. I don't exactly know. I, I, you wouldn't want to ruin the vending experience for the vendors because they make money of that. And we, we don't want that to be the end of the world for them. But who knows? I feel like invert shows um, in the UK do it really well because I am a crazy praying mantis person. And um, a lot of the breeders would bring their adult female um, and have it in a display. And then they've got all of the little babies and little cups that are big enough for them to be in there for the next couple of molts. Mm. Um, and the same with the spiders, things like that. And they've got an adult on display being like, this is what you're going to have to deal with. This is how big the enclosure is going to have to be. You're like, okay, that makes sense. That's fine. I can deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's, maybe you have to go home with a, a container that's large enough to keep the animal in for a month or two. But then, you know, if you are an experienced reptile person, you don't want to have to buy a new container enclosure every time you buy a new animal because you probably have something at home. So it becomes difficult to police. With inverts, it's nice because they're so small and they start so small. So you can give them a deli cup, cup and they'll be fine for a while. So I don't know. What do you think? You've been to a lot more expos and stuff than me. I've been to one. Um, I think it needs to verge more on pre-arranged purchases compared to like just because, like you said, there's so many people there who just buy an animal and like, do you even know what you're going to put it in? Do you even did you even come here for that today? And they're like, mm -hmm. no. Like, oh, what have you bought there? It's a little baby sulcata tortoise. It was cute. It was fifty pound. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Do you know how big that's going to get? No? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, since they have um, what we call the exchange room, and that's where if you're actually like a licensed breed or anything like that, they have to go in there and they can only like trade the animals that have already been pre-purchased. So that animal has already proven that got someone who's decided they want it, bought it, traveled down to get it, already hopefully got the setup ready because the excuse for the expos is that it's one place for everyone to be. Um, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's it is really tricky. I mean, because I think about if if I was a seller, you wouldn't want to add so much red tape that it becomes difficult to make sales. But mm. it also depends on the price point of the animals. Like, I remember when I was at the Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo last year, I was helping the Jungle Vault vendor, which was, was Mike Titula and his girlfriend Bree, and uh, most I, I, they had lots of hog nose and whatnot, but also the tachydromus that Mike had been breeding, and they, I forget what they would go for, but I, I want to say there were like a couple of easily like three or four, maybe four hundred dollars for one, and they're like these little lizards. So you know that when someone buys that, that they're going to go home and they have a good understanding, probably how to care for, it, or at least can figure it out. They're probably reptile people already, but if you're selling the on the lower end or like the easier economical side of this the scale maybe like 30 to 80 dollar animals then you're running into issues of, of impulse purchasing so it's it's a tough thing to solve i think i just don't like it <laughs> <laughs> oh i think if you go to a pet shop pet shops are regulated they they are there keeping it permanently um in a, in a sense whether you say it's a hatching it's temporary and in, in proper housing and then you can regulate shops they're, they're the known premise all this stuff and then you go to an expo, and it's basically a wet market or a car boot sale or a yard sale in, in that sort of form. Mm. It's just a free-for-all. And you can't really regulate it because it is a free-for-all. And it's not like they're known premises. These aren't like registered like locations for businesses. It's not like pet shops, at least in the UK. Um, I think it needs to be a bit more like symposiums where you turn up with with adult displays if you want and then you have like you're, you're like promoting yourself as a breeder but not necessarily with stock and then people mm -hmm. can buy from you after maybe but i mean it's never going to be a good image for the hobby because it's horrific welfare for the most for the most part i mean you look at all these this i don't understand how you can be like oh you can't put a raw python in a viv because or you can't give them bright lights because it stresses them and it's like detrimental to them then go take them to an expo put them in a glass display case and put a little leds around their eyes Mm -hmm. yeah there's definitely welfare pieces that are impossible to get around i mean as to, to take the opposite side someone could say well they're not in there for very long it's short-lived and that's all true and we all know that we all know that this is like a, a transitionary period for these animals but the people that are scrutinizing the reptile community don't care about that you know they they, they can and you can't argue that it's bad or that it's good for their welfare there's no way to do that you have to admit that this is a sacrifice to welfare and i think you're right i think I see a lot more like conferences type things popping up and those I think are great. I mean, you guys obviously went to the advancing herpetological husbandry conference, which is a good example of that. But there's also, I, I see, you know, things like carpet fest or these just different um, almost like events or festivals or whatever you want to call it, where people from a niche part of the reptile community, whether it's a species or a group of species get together and hang out and drink beer, have a barbecue and talk whatever animal they're wanting to talk about. And not necessarily, I mean, maybe there is sales in that environment, but that's a big difference, you know, when you're bringing people who are already part of a community and maybe I'm bringing a couple snakes for you, you're bringing a couple snakes for me. That's different than like nobody random is going to show up to that and say, hey, I want to buy this carpet python. You already have to be in that community. I suppose so. I mean, I think you see a lot of random people just turn up to expos as well. Like the, oh, yeah, the exactly. One, that's just like you just walk in, you know. What, sorry? Uh, Donny Reptile. Oh, uh, it's yeah. not Donny anymore because it's a different location. But that used to be like you paid at the gate and that was you getting membership. So it's basically just like entry fee for like, the yeah. public. But to 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 um to counter that though, let's play this game. Imagine you get abducted by aliens, right? And you're put in this little you're in, you're in an enclosure that's like 
set up in a way that the aliens think that you should be kept. And you have aliens come, look at you, bang on the glass, and they'll go away again. You don't speak alien. You have no idea what's going on. You don't know whether you're in a zoo, in a pet shop, being sold for food. You have no idea. You have no. You have no idea if you're there temporarily or that's you're there for the rest of your life. All you know is, in that moment, that's your life, and that's all. You, and you don't know what's going to happen next. So we use this. We use this argument and this justification of, oh, it's only temporary. The animal doesn't know it's temporary. The welfare doesn't change for the animal. The animal has no concept of temporary. It's just they know what their life is. Mm-hmm. So I think like when, like temporary in terms of like, oh, you put something in a, in a tub to shed it while you clean it, or you put something in a tub for like 20 minutes, half an hour when you're cleaning out an enclosure. But when it's there for for days upon days because they're traveling up to the expo let alone being sat on the table at the expo all day let alone driving back again if you don't get sold or driving back somewhere else if you do get sold like you're there for much longer than people make out and they have no idea what temporary is yeah i mean no it's it's definitely true you you can't like i said you, you couldn't really craft an argument to say why being in the little containers is good for them. Although I guess you could say this is going to help them find a forever home, which will eventually increase their quality of life because right now they're in a breeding situation. They're in my breeding rack in a small enclosure, but hopefully they find a person that's, you know, willing to create this large environment for them. So I guess the question is, is like, if you're in a temporary environment, is it, to what end i guess is is always the question like if you've if you've taken them out and you put them in a temporary tub to clean their enclosure like you said they don't know is like is this going to be a forever thing but it's supposed it in the end it benefits them because mm-hmm. they're going to have a clean enclosure so it, it's kind of a give and take for sure i think what you should have is things should have access to like bigger tubs that actually aren't like compressed in a ridiculous fashion they're in tubs that are literally like transport tubs but then like kept there all day when they're sat on the tape i think they should have larger tubs so they can actually move a bit more have a hide and then water so i think for, for most people they don't purchase they just go over look at look, look, that's really cool let's look at what people have got oh that's a cool species that's a cool species so if things aren't actually being like picked up or looked at because someone's going to make a purchase, then why can't they have a hide? And then you have printed pictures on the boxes of what they are. And if someone's like, oh, I actually want that, can I have a look? And then you get out from a hide because you go out to sell it. That's fine because that's like an isolated occurrence. Mm-hmm. But for the vast majority of the sea of people that just walk past and don't are just there to look and aren't actually going to spend any money, that animal could be in a hide. Yeah. That's yeah, what, I, I think so. I think there's be small steps to make it better. I certainly, I think like what what's being done, just like when they put the display of royals there with lights on them and like cramps and stuff. I'm like, that is the bottom of the barrel. Like you couldn't really do it any worse, could you? Yeah, like you said, maybe there is just larger because you don't have to even have to have all your. Well, I guess it depends if you've traveled from a far distance and and, but if you're someone that goes home between. Uh, like the Saturday, Sunday, then maybe you only keep bring like a third of your animals to the expo and they have more space. And then you have photos or like a TV behind you that's going through a slideshow of the other animals that you have at home. It, like, I, I think there are definitely ways 
that it can be done. But I'm, but I'm also kind of a hypocrite because I love walking through expos and, and we're all animal lovers. We all want to see other more animals, right? So you get to look at different things and species that maybe you've not seen before. But I would not be opposed to seeing less animals in more space either. But nobody, I, I don't know if anybody would pay to, to, to go to an expo just to see photos <laughs> of, of things that they could buy because you could just stay home and do that. Although if, they, if the vendors were bringing the large adult size with a large enclosure that kind of is like a mobile zoo experience and i think you would still draw lots of people in right because oh you get to see all these different things yeah i mean even just like rather than being a tub with an animal that's like you like that and curled up just a tub that's like that so it can actually move a little bit a hide in a water bowl and if it's in a hide and you've got no reason to spend you can look at the picture but oh that's what's in there and then move on but if you're looking for a certain thing and you see that box and you see that picture and you're like Actually, that's what I'm looking for. Can I have a look at it, please? Then get it out because mm -hmm. you're about to buy it. But if people aren't going to buy it, then I'm like, then if it's stressed, shouldn't I have the opportunity to like do something to de-stress itself? I don't know. But I thought there's little things like that could be done to make things better. Mm -hmm. Like I don't mean have pictures just represent what you have to sell and the animal's not actually there. I mean just the picture and there in case it's in a, in a hide if that makes yeah, sense yeah 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 that makes sense i think yeah. little steps can be made to make things better i mean certainly when you have things without water for like the entire day i'm like yeah you can see why that's bad definitely yeah yeah absolutely that let's look at some comments for a second um even animals are there i think the solution would be that they can't get animals right there and then you have to be shipped um I think it'll be quite pointless. I think if you're going to do that, I think you probably just take the adults, show what the things that you're selling come from and what it's going to end up like, and then be like you're promoting yourself as a business and they can buy it from you after and it'll be shipped that way. Um, what's this say? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, personally, I think it's a broken system, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so... I think like the philosophy of reptile keeping generals changing over the years. There's definitely old school and then like new wave, new school. Um, and I do think it's generational as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, even even if you look at um, something like Morph Market, right? It's become a lot more popular. Just purchasing and it, buying snakes online and or like animals online and having them shipped to you is so much easier that the expo used to serve a more important purpose, I guess, right. If you were part of the community and you wanted to show off what you were working with and, and you know, th there were, Oh, Hey, Lori, th there, there was a legitimate good reason for it. And, and that, now, like I said, to me, it's, it's more about the people that you meet at the expo than seeing the animals themselves. So I, I, I would never say we should not get together. Cause I think that was like one of the obvious things with COVID yeah. is that we didn't get to do that. And, and uh, I think that, is so important for the community, especially when I mean, we talk about this all the time is how, how derailed the discourse can get through online communication where when you're talking to somebody in person, it's just so much easier and, and way more practical and it doesn't go off the rails very easily. And so that's, those are all the reasons why getting together with other reptile keepers is great, but maybe we don't need to be putting a thousand snakes in deli cups. I don't know. Does the U S or all kinds of have symposiums that are just like, for the love of reptiles and celebration and hanging out without animals being there there was what's it called Her herpticon it's been a while since they've run that one because it was before covid 
Herpeticon, I think it was called. And that was kind of very similar to Advancing Herpetological Husbandry Conference. And obviously, we did have the Advancing Herpetologically Husbandry, Herpetological Husbandry Conference here as well. In was it in New Mexico? This was again pre COVID. And there's supposed to be another one next year in Texas. So that, that's not necessarily a North American thing. It's still happening in North America, but it's coming from you know, Europe. But I think those types of things are incredibly popular and probably will be con continue to be. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's definitely the better way of doing things, I think. Surely the organization, uh, the organizers of the expo events can stipulate expectations regarding presentation of the animals and take action when standards are not met. I mean, yes. I mean, our ones in the UK are supposed to have like standards, but then don't enforce it. Like, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be a registered business, uh, or even just someone that's doing it as a business. You're not allowed. You're not allowed business cards, banners, logos. Really? You're supposed to. It's supposed to be just like a hobbyist thing, and oh, everyone's there handing out business cards. The raw python rat breeders are acting like businesses. Um, I don't know. It's just. Not what it was, from what I from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is hard to regulate. Oh, Billy says there's a gecko symposium before Tinley this year. That's pretty cool. That's so Tinley cool. is in I th is in October, I think. Maybe Billy can correct me if I'm wrong. And um, so that that's interesting. Does anyone have any tips on reading up on reptile behaviors? I really like to read some studies, preferably on retics. Yes, if you go to Google Scholar. Um, that's kind of like the search engine for looking up studies and then just start searching there. You um, you won't be able to access every single kind of study. But if you search for something called that rhymes with Gliglub, um, you might be able to find a website that unlocks things for you. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's banned. We can't say that. <laughs> but if someone does is looking for a paper, we can get them. Yeah, I, I actually have access to a university database, so I shouldn't make it sound like I'm doing something sketchy because I work at a university. So I, I luckily <laughs> still have access to, I don't know if it's because I graduated there as a student or because I still work there, but either way, I have full access to most papers. So, yeah, I have to ask one of my old tutors. Um, I'm always like, could you, can, can I get this paper, please? And he's like, of <laughs> yeah. course. So, yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, nice it's, just, yeah, it's definitely makes a difference sometimes i and, and obviously i'm not sure if that i'm sure that individual is aware of uh, Lori's work but she's lots of behavior stuff with uh with oh, 100 yeah it's definitely something that people should should definitely look up I'm, I'm trying to bring up an image in this so that i can show something i'm just trying to figure out how to do it um let me just make a background. Maybe a background works. This is us learning on the job, guys. Learning on the job. Have you heard of Icky Guy before? Icky Guide? Right. Let me change the background. <laughs> ba Bam. Right. Let me change us. Can you get rid now. of us. Should go straight to the background. This is technical difficulties, guys. <laughs> Yeah, and as you're doing that, I just see Daniel and Rebecca both have said uh, many scientists are happy to share their work. So yeah, if you do find a paper Absolutely. that that uh, it sounds interesting, just email them because they don't. Most of them, it's not like they make a ton of money off of downloads, or maybe they don't make anything. I don't know. Maybe Rebecca might be able to tell us whether or not they actually make money when things are bought, but or when things are uh, yeah, when th when papers are purchased. But either way, they would email it to you probably. 
So that didn't work. So what I'm going to do is share my screen this time. So we're going to get technical in this. So let me share my screen. Share screen. Uh, yes, we're going to share this. So this is Ikigai. Well, so let's bring up this one. Uh, yeah, this. So you have everything around the sides. I don't know how big this is. Let me just make that bigger. Everything around the sides. So basically everything in your life is what you're good at, what the world needs, what you love, and then what you're paid for. And there's little bits in the sides. And in the center is Ikigai. And there's this Japanese concept of like this like element of like fulfillment, of like reaching this like pinnacle of everything in your life comes to blend together. Now, we talk about like the new philosophies that we're trying to come up with. We've got all these different ideas. And no one can really put a, like a pinprick on what it is that we 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 think, right? Um, so what I was thinking is maybe like as a philosophy, we should come up with some concept similar to that that represents how we all feel and think. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's good. You mean just as far as like summarizing the philosophy of reptile keeping as we believe it to be or as we yeah yeah believe like following yeah. science more as less bigger enclosures smaller collections smaller species bigger enclosures um more money spent on the equipment and all of the above like there's got to be something that we can be like this word that just represents us wholly we fully like it just is represents you hmm. i think there's some areas there for that to be a thing yeah i mean i was thinking about this uh, this is a slight tangent off of what you're talking about but as far as you know because obviously the conversations that i have the conversations that you have how i think about reptile keeping is something that has to do with the quality of the life of the animal and like when, when i think about fish keeping for example like what does a fish deserve like when you keep a fish and obviously there's a wide range of, of answers there, but most people provide fish with, with quite a lot. <laughs> and so it, it, I, I like, it, it's, it's hard for me to like the philosophy of me thinking about how I keep for reptiles is more like how I feel about it rather than putting it into a, a concise word. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is that maybe we need to work to something that's more of like an elevator pitch as far as the philosophy of keeping. But when I think about reptiles, the reptiles in captivity i that that is the question i ask myself is what what do they deserve what how, can they suffer how much can they suffer can they enjoy their life are, are there things that make their life worse or better and how much can you realistically provide for them without damaging your own life i mean like you know you showed that exhibit of the your mastics exhibit at the zoo that is an unreasonable expectation for anybody, right? That's a huge, massive enclosure, like a gymnasium. Obviously, the welfare in that enclosure is probably going to be higher, but not necessarily higher than you could achieve at home. Maybe not. But it, there, there's so much gray area when you talk about this. It's really hard to, you know, make any like definitive statements. But the, but the, the you should always be striving for how can I improve the welfare of this animal and assume that the welfare can be bad and assume that the welfare can be good. Cause if you don't actually assume that, then you don't have to think about it. Right. If you just assume that the animal is content, no matter what, then you're sort of just done. And so the premise has, you have to start with the fact that 
suffering is a legitimate thing that the animal can be exposed to and that as a keeper you have the capacity to reduce the suffering yeah if you start keeping with the mentality that like you can't make a snake suffer because it's just a snake this little machine that needs food water and warmth and that's it like your ceiling's very very low yeah i don't know if you saw recently we had um a meme made about one of our recent uploads with the yes. leopard gecko episode yeah. um and that whole entire thing was like, this is too far. Oh, where's the end point? Can you succinctly um, describe um, what it is you want to get to? Or this, where, this end goal, where you want to get to? And I think in a roundabout way, what that was kind of asking for is kind of like, what's our version of Wikiguy? Yeah. And I think that was a, actually a good challenge. I actually have talked to that individual privately just recently as well, because he, he had followed me on Instagram and kind of chatted back and forth. And then I saw that he posted that he obviously tagged me in it as well, because I think I was mentioned in it. And yeah, it, it is an interesting question because you're right. You, if you present keeping leopard geckos, the minimum guide as an entire room, then you sort of destroy leopard gecko keeping almost completely because nobody can do that or very few people can do that right you'd have the same amount of people that keep leopard geckos that can have a horse or something like that because who's going to sacrifice an entire room you don't even sacrifice a room for your dog so to say that that's the minimum would be too much and and i think from how do you pronounce um the leopard is it um i, I was now you put me on the spot here oh, no, ayana Ayana, Ayana, yeah, that's, that's right. Because I, I always want to say Ariana because I work with someone named that. But uh, anyway, from her perspective, it's just something that she wanted to do and she enjoyed. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's cool. You know, to, and, and the amount of data that we can extract from that experiment is is amazing. But to paint it as like we everybody should be working towards this is, is also too much, right? We can't, I don't think we can do that. Although if the quality of life for the animal is higher than an animal in a four by two by two, then how do you justify reducing the quality of life? You know, it's so tough because you're constantly putting your own needs and wants in front of the animal. And we do that as keepers because we keep, because we actually want to keep them. That's the, that's like the first thing. That's why we have these animals in a room because we want to look at them and see them every day. And that is our own want superseding the need of the reptile. I think, yeah. Me personally, I first have to admit that I've been selfish. Mm -hmm. I have way too animals to ever do that. And like that was entirely, I could have got one animal and given them so much more and I didn't. Um, and then, so that's just me taking account for myself that that, but also that doesn't mean that my animals have to live a bad life. I can do extra things like um, have a big playpen that they take turns in spending time with, um, be really focused on giving them enrichment and different things and great diets and things like that and consent-based handling and training um yeah i don't think we should be too harsh on ourselves that we can't give them that full stuff but we also have to admit that we did that and the fact that someone else can do that is amazing yeah yeah and you can learn from that like who knows what oh, a, 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 damn it how do you say it again ayana 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 for some reason i want to put another silver in there i'm so sorry ayana i was just talking to her yesterday too and she was messaging me but so i but I always read her name. I don't say it. Anyway, who knows? She could learn some interesting things about leopard gecko behavior that you could incorporate into a smaller enclosure as well, right? That would be really cool. It's something as basic as climbing or having vertical space for a leopard gecko. If 
if she sees a ton of that and documents it, then that maybe the expectation is instead of a four by one foot, this is just a theoretical example, a four by one, uh, a four long, one foot tall, maybe we say, you know, two feet at least, so you can give the animal space to like traverse up things. And so there's nothing wrong with people exceeding the expectations. But it's funny because as I was saying, I think before off air, I had just moved my leopard or my leopard gecko, my crested gecko from this enclosure over to here on the, on the other side of my head. And now I have an empty enclosure and the thought of, <laughs> but the thought of filling it with anything just gives me so much anxiety. Like I would never, because of how much work and money I know now goes into a single animal, this thing, I almost want to just give away because I, I don't, I might, I might, I might keep it. Who knows? But that's a pink toe. <laughs> yeah. So, but even, even I, I don't have any draw to keeping an animal right now because I know how much work it is. So I'm super content with what I have. And just the thought of adding another animal to my connection does not give me any excitement. It just gives me like, oh my God, I see dollar signs. I see work. I see all this, you know, stress of, you know, caring for another being. And in some ways, I think that's a really good, healthy position to be in because you're very aware of how much work it goes into keeping them. And, and I, a lot of times I wish I had that experience earlier on. So I had less animals. Luckily I only have the six, so it's not like a huge um, burden on my life, but it's still not cheap down here. I feel like culture comes into it as well because you have so many people in the, so many people being like you need a collection you need a diverse collection and you to to be somebody and be respected and be recognised and this and that and that you need to have this big diverse collection and whatnot and to be a part of a community and be and be able to be like how like have your say I suppose you need to like be wow. That's not very cash money to have one animal, is it? I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it's like a self fulfilling cycle of like hoarding, I suppose, depending on how far you take it. But yeah, and it very much is a rock and a hard place because the more animals you keep, the more experience you have. And that's true, even if the experience is maybe not valuable experience. But if you work with more species, you just have more experience. And that's how, you know, that's just simple math. And there's no we you you definitely can't discard the experience of people who have had lots of different animals and worked with different things. But at the same time, the 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 thought that you need to have many animals in order to have experience or to have valuable information to share is just wrong. Mm. I kind of cheated here. it in that sense, but like working in shops, then working with like really fast rotating like collections, if you will. Yeah, so you have a lot of you have a good species diversity under your belt. I mean, I've worked with things now that I'd never thought I'd ever work with, like croc monitors and the, the blue um, Grand Cayman iguanas and things like that. And things are probably and and like, what what are they called? Bolin's pythons. I'll never touch those things again. But it had I tell you what though, from working with these things, it's made no impact on my ability to keep what I've got. All of that's come from me just pouring my time to research at home. Yeah. Let's just tackle some of the comments because everyone's running away from us at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the amount of space I feel catches up a lot with, with people who criticize and never think or listen further. Yes. And what was the other thing you said? I don't think the amount of space needs to be the entire focus. It's what you do with the space and time. Some subject of a, exactly. I mean, in some collections in zoos, you have some tiger enclosures that are massive, and some safaris that are basically like a field. But then you have some smaller collection uh, in habitats that are like really complex and lots of things to do, um, and they're really like 
bang on like the enclosure design and that's actually better for the animal's welfare than this vast empty field yes yeah and i feel like the same applies to reptile keeping Oh, definitely. I mean, and that's the thing too. A lot of people don't utilize the space very well anyway, too. So you have a lot of space, like dead, dead space. And I, I always sort of compare it to um, like a, fi a fish tank. People, you can have a large fish tank, but the fish can still utilize every square inch of the tank. Yeah. Where if you set it up, uh, you know, if you have a snake enclosure and you just have one stick, it's like that's the only place he can go in the air because it's just <laughs> that's it. So you got to give them as much really you have to kind of move away from like what's aesthetic and just jam pack it full of opportunities for the animal to utilize that vertical space. So about the complexity and the options that you provide, isn't it? There's so many comments here. Hang on. Let, let's, let's get <laughs> into these Dylan. Yeah. 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 Go, go ahead. Um, so keep the enclosure in case someone hands you a random reptile in need of a home. You never know what might encounter a rescue scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I'm hardcore saying no to rescues now. And rescues as in giving animals to rescues? The reverse, or... taking on stuff. Because then like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a rescue. But how much money is that going to cost? And disease screening and quarantine and 60 quid for one fecal, 90 quid for a NIDO test, like crypto's 50 quid now. But you have to do it three times. It's literally 150 quid just on crypto. We're not even talking mm. about anything else yet. Yeah. <sighs> And yeah. I'm like, mm, I'm okay. What, what about you? Would you take on a rescue? Mm, I think it would depend on the situation. I mean, I think I would... I, I don't know. I mean, if it was a large animal, no. If it was an animal... Another boa. <laughs> another boa, no. Any animal that had the capacity to grow large, definitely not. If it was super sick, definitely not. It would have to be a weird, selfish scenario where it's like an animal that I was actually interested in keeping in uh, keeping, and then then you you know decide if the risk is worth it. But I don't know. I'll, I'll keep it anyway. I, I thought maybe I would do something just plants, like you know something like that to fill it, so I don't put an animal in there. Who knows? If you fill it with plants, you'll put say in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are any of your tarantulas kind of like heavy webbers? No. I do want to get some heavier Webers though at some point. So maybe it's, I mean, this is a pretty large, this is like a two foot tall. So it would have to be, you know, scaped in a way so you can avoid falling and get rid of the screen and whatnot. But that would be cool too. I did think about that as well. I wouldn't worry about the screen personally. No. No. I've worked so many tarantulas in so many shops over years and they're just in exoterrors and it's never been a problem. They're never getting hung up on the screen. No, not really. No. But the screen is easy to take out too. Like you could just put Plexi in there. You could get a mantis that lives like 18 months and then it's gone again. Ooh, Have that really decked idea. out and planted and get some mantis in there. Elegant. We're not good at species to get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's dive into some more questions here because the chat is flowing. I like it a lot. Um, what's this about? If you're keeping them racks, you're not getting the same experience. Someone loves to allows them to climb and move about absolutely like what i will say is my royal she, when she feeds she likes to stand up really tall literally like 30 centimeters tall and then swallow that way mm. and i'm like you've been in a rack for 15 years and you've not even been able to swallow the way you want to that's mental and on the wants to justify crazy. that i'm like i'm sorry i can't even swallow the way it's supposed to it's crazy 
So yeah, I agree with that. I mean, is Dylan what? Is Dylan related to Christian Eriks? <laughs> Do you know who that is? No. Oh, look. <laughs> He's just typing Christian Eriksen. He's the one who had the heart attack on the football pitch and basically died. Christian Eriksen. Wait, I think... It, uh... It's with the skinhead as well. <laughs> Hang on, let me... I'm going to share my screen again just to show Dylan. Do I look like him? Is that why? A little bit. I think it's what you've done with your hair now is what makes it look like it. That's Christian Eriksen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not related to him. Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, it could be distant. Is he from the UK? He's like Norwegian, I think, or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. I do have Norwegian blood in me, so. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Could be a very <laughs> long lost cousin. Uh, I think it's mostly people chatting with each other, I think. Yeah, they don't even um, exist here. The other question that I thought to ask was, what do you think is your end goal in terms of like your bowers and stuff? Do you feel that you're going to go bigger now or not? For, you spent a lot of money, so I assume you're going to like you can stick it out for a while now. But um, I assume in the future, would you be like, actually, I want them to have like four foot deep or five foot deep or 10 by five by fives? Yeah, I, I, I definitely want at some point to go bigger. Like you said, right now, I'm just like, I do not want to spend any more money in this room. And they are inadequate. Like it's all behind me is like six foot long, three foot tall, um, two foot wide enclosures. And they're all six foot or less. So there is quite a bit of space. And and like, I, I think I was saying to you on our keeper chat the other day that my one female boa, who's just basking right now, maybe can people see her. Oh, you can't, you can't really see her. I was going to point, but I don't think that'll help. Anyway, she will sometimes come up to the glass and, and want out. And so I, I let her explore the room for hours when that happens, like two or three hours. I'll just let her explore the basement. And that does seem to help with that. So I know that more space can always be needed. And at some point, I would love to. The house I'm in right now just can't warrant any more space. So eventually, I would love to have a larger enclosure. And I even thought, like, you could do a huge enclosure but cohab and take up less space than two medium-sized mm -hmm. enclosures right so that might be something too i do know people that co cohab boas i think it's possible i mean our mutual friend rex cohabs boas with a, a rainbow boa Rainbows, too. yeah and that seems to work i mean i don't necessarily recommend anybody just jumping to do that i think you have to have a pretty good understanding of your animals which he does but who knows i think there'll be opportunities to do more you know like a large display and cohab them so We'll, we'll see but for now this the, this is where they are and when they want more space they just i just let them out i was thinking that when when these animals when these all of these are in seven foot vids and it's literally like from over there all the way to the wall over there i'm like mm, seven by two by two could i have two royals i'm like no so because <laughs> technically i own another royal and it's Ellie's, but he's a male so to put a male and a female together you just pester, I think. Yeah, that's probably too much. But you could do. Could you do two females? Do people do people cohab ball pythons? But here's the thing, right? From my research into royals, they used to. They used to be the norm. People mm. used to like breed them in like big five foot vivs and then have like groups of them together and things like that. So like it's just since the rat culture started, it was like no, they can't be cohab and things like that. Interesting. 
Liam, tell me new findings about what what in particular. Like, I'm mean, I could do Royals. I've spent all day this today and yesterday reading up on the science of ball pythons breeding. So interesting. So there was one study, right? It's got a blended study where they did so much that they published it in like a split two different papers, but they went out and they bought a load of wild caught royals in and loam um togo and then they split into three groups these are gravid females right and then one of them they let just as the control group they they got to maternally incubate their own clutch and then one of them they took some eggs away and made it a reduced clutch and then one of them they made it an increased clutch and what they found was that the average was like five so plus and minus a few but it's up to like seven or eight ish and then like um mostly sort of five six ish um they're very consistent so that the thing they wanted to test was there was hypothesis that um birds should be physically able to it's a really old one because these are old papers should be physically able to produce more eggs than they can viably raised to fledging so the theory is is that evolution should get them to produce the amount of eggs that they can viably raise no more no less to be really efficient and they wanted to test this hypothesis in reptiles and they chose um raw pythons and ball pythons as the proxy for this so what they found was that it was a 96% success rate in the maternally incubated group, 95% success rate in the reduced clutch size group, and then 77% um, success rate in the enlarged. So by increasing the clutch size, they increased the mortality rate. So why that is, is because the females couldn't actually wrap the clutch properly. Mm. So what actually happened was they lose water retention if they're not wrapped properly. So the it literally did it in stages. So it was from, from maternal to like um bit and then bit and in the end it's like the largest like they lost the most water. So what actually happens is that at the surface of the, of the egg the um the yolk starts to as the water gets withdrawn and they start to desiccate it starts to um coagulate and it means that less of that yolk is available for those um, snakes to obviously absorb and grow from. So obviously at a certain like, early stage, it just kills them. But later on, it also makes smaller offspring. So when they did the studies, they, they put them into different trials. So they made them swim in a pool, they made them crawl, and then they would like stress them with a pen in front of them and make them strike. And they found, um, and they also did split this between another study where they made it like, um, maternal incubation and then partly maternal incubation for the first 15 days and then artificial. So what they found was the ones that maternally incubated were came out bigger. They swam faster and longer. They crawled further and they struck less than the others. And then the ones that were artificially incubated without being brooded uh, came out smaller and struck more. And they were the weakest, essentially. That's fascinating. Yeah, I know, right? And and so it basically just has to do with yolk consumption in the egg. Yeah, it's, it's purely about water. And what's really interesting is that 
they can't increase the temperature from like shivering. Everyone thinks that royal pythons can shiver. They can't. Do they do they shiver at all or no? no they, they can't don't. do okay. it. We literally tracked it back. There was one paper in was it the seventies? It was old, old. Yeah, one scientist was the first person who to kind of try and set it up. Said that he saw them shiver. And then since then, we've been trying for years to recreate the same thing, and no one has. So the whole royal python shiver was just one time, apparently. Hmm. There was another paper that literally force-fed like um, temperature loggers into the royals. It was in their stomach, so they're going to measure internal temperatures. Then they put them into like little boxes so they control the temperature, and they would influence the ambient temperature up and down. Um, and they would embed data loggers into the center of eggs to see what temperatures they would get to. And even down to like 20 degrees, they couldn't induce shivering into, into, into royals or brooding over eggs. It doesn't make a difference. The only thing wrapping does for royals is um, prevents water loss. Doesn't do anything for temperature. Wow, that's really fascinating. I didn't so know you, that. You wonder how dependent the eggs are on temperature then must not be dependent at all. Well, the theory Unless, is... I guess the breeding season is pretty consistent. Well, the theory is, is that some species can, like Indian pythons and like diamond pythons that come from like colder climates. Yeah. But stuff like retics and afrocs and stuff from warmer climates and royals can't. So African rock pythons also were found that they couldn't do it either. And they're from the same exact fields, habitats as royals. So it's just the temperature like in the environment. They're just a warm species, so they don't need to. Yeah. And also, what's really interesting, I've kind of derailed this now. You've set me off on one. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll end it on this and get back to Dylan. <laughs> but they said they found that royals will bask and then absorb a load of heat and then go back and use it on the eggs. And that's what um, Afrox do in other species. And then also they, they cited a different pa uh, paper and captivity of them doing under basking lights and captivity as well. So when we watched the uh, the uh, documentary from Kaufman and he was saying that it was coming out to call out, I'm pretty sure he was just coming out to bask to warm up and take it back to the eggs. Yeah. Okay, no more on the Royals. We're done. You're going to send me off on one. There's all My sorts brain... of comments in here now, though. Have I started, to... <laughs> Have I started something? Um, Ellie helped me. There's too much. Oh, um, I honestly it. Yeah, we were just talking about you. You've turned up after we were done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to watch it back for the praise. And how we mispronounce your name, sorry. <laughs> um, Wait, Boma I want to what Lori some. said here. Uh, before you read from Oxana, yeah, yeah, some animals will still want to come out no matter how large the enclosure is. That That's a good point, too. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, some animals will just find the perimeter of their environment and just will scale it. So, Haven't you found, though, Laurie, that some of them, once they got an upgrade, just didn't ask to come out? <laughs> Wait for the sea, find her in the sea of comments now. <laughs> yeah. Um, as popular for increases, we could have issues of overcollection of certain species. Um, maybe, yeah, but I mean, a lot of us, like, our standards are, are, like, really well. Like, we have hobby forms now in, like, tranches because of how easy they are to breed. What do you think, Dylan? I mean, I think that's always a risk because we've done it in the reptile world, right? Where we've just poached animals uh, 
to the endangerment just for the hobby. And people say that doesn't hasn't happened, but it does happen time to time. So I think obviously, especially when you're dealing with a very neat, like like a, a specialized niche, like uh, like Christian's saying here, who knows how many actually exist there? And if you start pulling, so I think there's definitely a risk. But again, it goes back to my all my my philosophy always is if you are keeping wild caught, I hope that you are working towards a breeding project, and then hopefully you know, with, with inverts, like you said, they breed so easily and they d give off so many babies. Hopefully you don't have to pull from the wild very often. And the babies are so easy to look after and so easy to just house and little and there's just a thousand of them. Yeah. So is it possible that groups of wilds live in burrows during the dry season? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, they, they find them together. If you actually watch a documentary that I uploaded, they, they find lots of them in the same, in the same burrow, in the same burrows. Um, This is lots, lots, and lots, and lots. Um, yeah, so also, Dylan, um, do you think that going back, you would have got Boas? Uh, no. No, not at all. Not even like, I love them, but they're big. Just no. Um, I would have probably like my very first Boa Winston, who is a like a Central American, or he he's not he's a, he's a like basically Boa Sigma, which is the Sonoran Desert Boa crossed with a, a Colombian Boa. As far as I can tell, he's been amazing because he's eight years old and he's under six feet. He's a great manageable size. The, the thing like there are some amazing things about Boas. The the first thing is they're very slow, they're methodical. You don't need to feed them much. You can feed them so little; it's unbelievable. You know it, they continue to grow off of very little they have slow metabolisms and they're curious they're out all the time they're climbing i love that like they they are great animals in that case but so i would say if i were to get a boa if i knew more i would always stay with the central american localities you know whether it's a sonoran desert boa or any of the central american countries that stay relatively small i see my Colombian boa and she's pretty large but i fed her really slow as well and she's maybe like just over six feet or just around six feet like i was saying earlier and but i don't know like is she going to be eight feet like it, that's huge even my rainbow boa is probably six feet as well she's quite big and i, I never see my rainbow boa so i probably would not necessarily get another one just because she's very nocturnal but for, for when i first got into keeping snakes boas were the only snake species that i thought was interesting I hated everything else. I don't know why. Like any colubrids, I would never even look at. And now I like. I wish I got had gotten colubrids to begin with because I, I have that little Japanese rat snake, and he's really cool to work with. And so I, I don't know. I think I, I would always now gravitate towards things that are smaller than larger. Hmm. Do you have like a particularly favorite animal that I in keep? your collection? Yeah. Mm. That's tough. I mean, my, I love my jungle carpet python. I think the contrast of the yellows and the blacks are just amazing to look at. And now that I've finished his enclosure here, it's just amazing to see him in there and, and move around. And so, yeah, I, I, that, that maybe that's my favorite, but I feel bad saying my favorite because I really do like them all. I, I, even though I'm saying that I would probably not get a boa again if I had to do it again, I still wouldn't get rid of these ones. I, I could, but I wouldn't want to because they're still my animals and I still find them fascinating and they're beautiful to look at. And especially boas, they have such intricate patterns and the rainbow boa too, obviously. But yeah, I think my carpet python is probably my most fun, especially when I redid all these enclosures. It was my most fun build because 
he's a much lighter snake. He's smaller. He's like maybe four feet, but you know, the thickness of, I don't know, like a quarter, like less smaller than a quarter even. So he's not huge. And so I know he's not going to go bulldoze everything in the enclosure. I can keep, I had more fun setting that enclosure up because I knew he wasn't going to trample everything opposed to my boas, which I need to like, as you can see, put trees in there. Yeah, I mean, like the heavy body stuff is. I th I, I I do understand people are saying like have like a diverse collection because some things like, like I love the MBKs because they're all spindly. You can make this really like clumped up environment and just go in and out of it. But then like a royal is just it just feels good to hold. I can't explain. They just and just they're just fascinating. I I, I think you can get different things from different animals. We've got a question. Oh, definitely. For you, What is the female Colombian boa's name? I, I honestly, I'm so bad with names. I don't really have names for them. I have Winston, who's the, my first snake. When I first got the female boa, I called her Whip, and but I, I kind of abandoned the name. But I think her name is still Whip. But those are the only two that I've actually named. So the other ones are nameless. The other one you to call Nene. Nene, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whip and Nene. Oh, and, and Jackson, my 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 uh, crested gecko. He's the other one that has a name. He was my first reptile. Here's the thing that I was just thinking of. Like, we everyone's like, yeah, it's a big responsibility to get this animal. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, when I think of that, and when it's like, oh, it's a big responsibility. I'm like, it's a big responsibility. Like, it feels really heavy. Mm. Do you understand, like? Like the responsibility you feel about getting a new animal, you mean? Yeah, it's it's so intense. I, I feel it so like heavy. I can't explain it. Well, that was that was the kind of the same point that I was trying to make with this empty enclosure. Like the anxiety I feel about getting a new animal is so strong that I wouldn't get a new animal because that I guess that's that what, the way you described it is better. It's like having a real clear understanding of the responsibility of what it means to get a new animal, buying the lighting, doing, you know, all this, the setup, all this extra stuff, the expense, the time commitment to making sure the animals started well and eating and you know, drinking, whatever. It, when you, when you fully grasp that, it's a real good uh, barrier to entry to get another animal because you know, the commitment. Yeah, that's, that's very well articulated. And it bolsters you from wanting other things. Like you can walk through an expo and go, yeah, that's a beautiful animal. That's a beautiful animal. But I also know what's associated with that animal as far as the responsibility. So it, it, it it's coupled together immediately. And I think that coupling only happens when you've actually done it. Like I, I have spent the dollars to set all this up. I've bought the lighting. I've done all this. I've spent a year setting up this entire room and I just don't want to do any more of that, you know? And if I, but if I hadn't done that, it would be easy to just continue to buy new things because they don't have the context. Yeah. I mean, like when you think about like what anything new you get has a direct impact on the things that you've currently got. So I've said it before. Um, I don't know where I said it, but it's like, Keep I think chat, it's in keeper chats. Yeah. I said it in keeper chats. So I can say it now. So you aren't responsible for something you don't own. You're responsible for what you do own. So at the moment, this heavy responsibility, this this it's not even just pet keeping. It's like stewardship. Mm. Guardian. You're a guardian of like like so you're this, this kid's legal guardian almost. But like your responsibility is to who's with you. So by bringing on someone new that affects the space that you can have 
for who you're already responsible for. So, like, like with all of this stuff, like, this is seven foot of space. That these are four foot, and these are three foot. What I could have done is had a seven foot viv for my first animal straight away and just left it there. But because yeah. I was like more, 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 three foot, four foot, I'm going to amend that now by like having everything seven foot. But I'm going to have to like get rid of a chest of drawers and put all my clothes like under the bed or something <laughs> like inconvenient. But I'm doing it because I have to because it's my responsibility. But I think that that, that heavy weight of responsibility at the start, people don't really feel it until they really know what it means until they've lived it, like you say. Yeah. Because when you get your first pet when you're a kid and your parents are like, this is a big responsibility and yeah, you're going to feed the dog and you're like, yeah, 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 just give me the, give me the, give me the animal. You know what I mean? I want to play with the dog, yeah. I think animals do that when they get, get a first like reptile. Adults do that when they get a first reptile as well. Oh, yeah. I remember like, years ago when I was just starting the podcast, I had a, one of my really close friends was also very interested in reptiles, and he wanted to get a reptile himself. He would go to the expos and whatnot, and then he didn't end up getting anything, but then his younger brother wanted to get a reptile, and his advice to his younger brother was like, listen to Dylan's podcast. It will make you not want a reptile. <laughs> and I was like, that's the best feedback I can get for the, the show. And what he meant was what the podcast gives you is a clear understanding of the responsibility, the amount of work that comes with having an animal, all these things that unfold that you don't necessarily think about when you're just thinking about the shiny animal. And uh, so, yeah, he's, you know, he said, if you listen to Dylan's podcast, you will not want a reptile. So that means if you listen to the podcast and yours would be the same and you still want a reptile at the end of that, then you're probably ready to have a reptile or, you know, add an animal to your, to your home. At least you have a really like well-rounded understanding of what it is you're going to get into as well, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I waited eight years before getting my first snake because of the weight of that commitment. I'm glad I took my time. Yeah, Absolutely. I waited until I could get away with it. <laughs> How long I waited. <laughs> uh, I adore my Cali King, and it um, it was not the species I would have considered when I first started researching. So you, that's, you originally added onto that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what we were talking about with the boas, right? Like I gravitated towards boas, and then I became like a f sort of infatuated with them or f fixated on them, and I had blinders up for other species. And like I said, I'm still happy with my boa, especially the first one that I, I bought kind of fits in that smaller range. But if you had spent a whole year looking at other things, who knows what other species you might find fascinating. And then suddenly you might find a species that actually suits, like Lori talks about this all the time. What animal or what behaviors are you trying to, are you expecting from your animal? If you are someone that doesn't see nighttime because you, you're like me who go to bed early and wake up early, you probably don't want a nocturnal animal. Uh, you know, there's a whole list of different things that you would, but if you get fixated on one species because you saw a cool YouTube video about it, then you are going to miss out on all the amazing other species that are out there. I think cameras are the future. Cameras? Yeah. So like night vision cameras as well. Like mm -hmm. the cameras we're using now, I would not know my snake unless I had this camera. Oh goodness. Hiccup there. But, um, she basically just is very like immobile during the day and just kind of chills out. And then as soon as those lights go, go off, it's literally like, what, 10 minutes before she emerges and starts cruising and so active. But then she's like four hours of activity and back to just sitting there again. Mm -hmm. But if you went to bed and then just got up every day and that was the only thing you did and you didn't look at night or anything, you'd be like, doesn't move. Pet rock. Yeah. 
that's the experience I have with my rainbow ball. I know she moves because I see the snake tracks in the substrate. But if it weren't for that, I wouldn't think that she leaves her humid hide. You definitely so I should get some cameras. Yeah, I do. Like we, I said well. to you before, I have them, but I don't have the subscription, so it doesn't record. I I have to wake up and like turn the camera on. But you I think need... I'm gonna get the ones you get. Yeah, with ours, you don't need the subscription. You just need to put an SD card in there. Maybe you could tell the brand so people listening. Oh, it's um, like Tipo or Tapo. The exact Tapo. one I've got is like the Tapo C60 or something like that. I can just Google it and I'll find it real quick. So it's. So that one doesn't require a subscription. You put a mini SD card in, then it will record on movement, right? Yes. Or you can set like recording times as well. Mm, yeah. Okay. So it's the Tapo um, C60 is what I've got. But as much, there's different versions. Like there's a C100 and there's like more expensive ones. But the one I bought was like £20. It was £15 at the time it's gone up. But they're pretty cheap. But you can set, I set mine to record from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I get all the nighttime stuff. Um, and she is complete. So active. As active as the rest of my animals, just at a different time. Just because it was at a time you wouldn't see it. That's and obviously the footage is not like super high quality. So it doesn't fill up the SD card every night. It's 720p. Okay, so it, you got tons of space then. Yeah, I mean, you can put like 128. The maximum it takes is 128 gigabyte um, SD card, so you've got plenty of space. Mm -hmm. And you can set the recording to loop as well. So as it fills up, it gets to the end, starts like overwriting the earliest recordings. Oh, okay, that's cool. So you'll never that run out cool. of space, basically. So I've just been doing, for the deep dive, I've been doing logs where I just film and review the night before, make an actual like, YouTube video, essentially, and then put it on a drive. Um, so I have four external hard drives that are a terabyte each. <laughs> so there's a lot for that. But yeah, you should totally do it for the rainbow bow. I can imagine what you would see. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I put all these climbing branches in. I haven't even seen her on them because I have never been down here when she's on them. I'm, so, I'm sure she is. But yeah, a camera would definitely be because I'm not I'm not staying up till 2 a.m. Can't do it. Um, I'm not Liam. Lori. <laughs> yeah, or Lori. Yeah. Doing the same, turn my working closet into an enclosure. Yeah, do it. Do it. Why not? I know um, Smoldering Serpents did that. We were watching her tour of enclosure last mm. night. But it's pretty It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Do either of you think it would be interesting to bring a herpetologist who studies the natural history of some of our commonly caught species on the show to hear about their experiences? I would love to get a kingsnake person on. Actually yeah, studies cool. kingsnakes. I really am heavily good on the kingsnake route. So maybe, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Um I could do a grass snake one. That'd be cool. And I know some of those grass snakes. Where's the notepad? Oh, this is recording. I, I, I like brain, I had a brainwave from that. I, I know someone who does snakes in the UK, so that might be an episode that's come out now. So there you go, Christian. You might have just caused an episode. There you go. I'm sure. I'm sure Dylan's got plenty of those on the cards. Yeah, I mean, I I love talking to people like that. I mean, sometimes the research that they're doing is like so niche to the species, where it's like, you know measuring their blood doing this certain like antibody whatever it is and you're like well that's not really going to help husbandry wise but they still have so much experience in the field finding them which is always fascinating yeah there's a lot of things like that for the rob python studies uh, i've got like 300 of them on, on a spreadsheet but a lot of them are like new disease found from this one in italy or the first nido case in italy like things that aren't going to be used so it's going to be excluded but there's a lot of things like that that might not be as interesting to people that are just keeping but yeah. i mean there'll be things so a lot of scientists on the husbandry side of the hobby is so difficult. Well, it's why it's herpetology, not herpetoculture. But there is a lot of areas of overlap. A lot of people got into herpetology because they they had a pet snake or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
but even just a chance to learn more directly people yeah i mean we'll make it happen we'll make it happen and then people just like asking laurie questions laurie's doing a q a in our comment yeah, section yeah, i love that <laughs> oh that's really cool i like that a lot um just want to put what uh, oh yeah I'm not up down there yet. Yeah, I really want to put a camera in my enclosure for two thousand toys and see how much you use. Yeah, do it, do it, absolutely do it. I, I cannot recommend. Sometimes I'll be like, I'll scroll through Netflix, right, and I'll be like, nothing I'll watch, and it'll be like one in the morning, and I just start. I'm just gonna sit here and just watch the royal. So just lying <laughs> in bed in a pitch dark, just watching what the royal's doing across the room. It's so good. Like I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Ayana's comment. I need to finish the podcast that you do with Mater so I can ask about his stance on cleaning products. I, I, I did not ask that, so you won't find that in the episode. That's a good question, though. Um, what do you guys use to clean? F10. F10, yeah. Is that chlorhexidine or what is F10? Ooh, um, I use chlorhexidine and I also use um, diluted hydrogen peroxide. Have a look at that one, shall we? Christ. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that one. <laughs> F10. Uh, Should we have a go? Yeah, quaternary ammonium. Uh, quarter, quaternary ammonium and bicuanide compounds. Whatever that means. So that's not chlorhexidine. <laughs> no. It does a squirty squirty than a cleany cleany. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I use uh, chlorhexidine and I'll use, uh, even sometimes I'll use just diluted vinegar and water too. Like obviously to do glass and whatnot, get rid, rid of calcium spots and then diluted hydrogen peroxide. That works. I sometimes use like the vinegar cleaning glass cleaning sprays just to clean windows. Yeah. Bring a king snake, but yep, love king snakes. I'm obsessed with king snakes. Um, disinfectant. Um, I think there's a bit section in the Mader book talking about like only doing quarterly, um, like partial cleans that's less stressful. But, mm. but uh, is she talking about? disinfectant resistance yeah so she's talking about overusing disinfectants and then creating some sort of like bacteria or viral resistant well, i can tell you from where i used to work like they're useless with using like the um front line to kill mites and what they've done is bred this super form of mites that are just impenetrable to it oh my god perfect <laughs> perfect yeah keep in mind uh, yeah yes yeah i mean true. these do yeah, but I haven't really seen what I'll tell you what I did see. I did see when I had it right next to the, the, the rub when she was in quarantine, she did come like just like just look stare into it, like just stare. But now she's like across the room from it. She doesn't really like do anything. Uh now we've got a disinfection chat going. <laughs> F ten. Yes, I love F ten. Cockatiels, yeah, you because it's, it's a concentrate, and then you like obviously just add water. And Laura uses hydrogen peroxide as well, accelerated hydrogen peroxide. Oh, it's a uh, quite like Clorox wipes. Nice, 
Um, why? Why? Why not an MBK? <laughs> why not an MBK? <laughs> not a Cali fair, King. A, a nice desert phase, 50-50 Cali Kings, pretty. I like Cali Kings. I like contrast. Yeah, the black, white, black, white. And you could just name it something like um, Beautiful Juice or something. Yeah, Oreo. Yeah, that would be cute, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, cool, yeah. So what was the, there's something that I was also going to bring up of philosophy as well. is like breeding. Breeding is one of the things where, like, where we're saying for ages, like, breeders could do this, this, and this, and still make money. But I feel like you have to try it to show that it could be done before people even attempt it. Yeah. So I kind of want to do that with a kingsnake route, try and breed kings. And then I want to do like a kingsnake website that's like really heavy on like every single species and then natural history or like maps. Like you can imagine how heavy my website would be on the information natural history side and like the care guides. Oh yeah. I mean, like that, yeah, a lot of species there. <laughs> and then I would have like that where I actually sell my kings that I produce with like the lineage charts of like tracking back every single thing from like clutch types and who came from where. So you can like track things um, and just do things like on a scale that people haven't done it. And then see like, I can do like spread videos and vlogs and do spreadsheets where you talk about the profits and stuff and then just show it can be done or can't be done, but we'll find out. I want to do something like that, you know? Yeah, I think that would be really valuable. I mean, like I've said before, the problem with breeding is it's fun, you know, because I, I think what happens is as reptile keepers, we hit a, you, you have the most fun, and I've said this lots of times, you have the most fun in your hobby when you're pushing the limit of your skills. So when you're encountering a part of the, the hobby where you do, you haven't done this thing before, so maybe it's building something, you learn how to cut glass or use silicone or, or use the saws to build something out of wood, that is when you get obsessed and enjoy it or when you're trying to do research to figure out what native plant life comes from the whatever there's so many different ways that you can push your skill limit or your skill level but once you kind of hit that part where you no longer feel challenged by just the care breeding is such an obvious go-to that it's a new challenge you're still working with animals it's doing something different you have the excitement of uh, potentially making a little bit of money producing more you know baby animals which is super exciting so the, the allure of breeding is so potent and powerful that i think it's always going to be there and i never want to tell somebody that they shouldn't breed i always say that if you are going to breed you should really make sure that you are producing an animal that your market your local market can handle because that's quite often the mistake that people make is they get so excited by the concept of doing something new that they actually don't see if they could sell the animals that they produce and now they have you know 20 boas that they have to care for for you know two or three years it's just terrible um but i think if people were to do something like you were doing like you know that's a new way to challenge yourself with breeding and a new new concept and new and new ways to potentially do things better and i think that would be really really cool i think i would like to do it just for the fact of like even if it just pays for itself like i would just do it for the sake that i just want to do it yeah um and speckled king snakes i really want them are they easy to find there uh, not really, but I know someone that does produce them. Um, so, but also, I would like, are those uh, are those like Florida? What are they? They're in in the center. They're Lampopeltis Holbrookii. Um, they're oh, yeah, like yeah. the black and white ones, or they got yellow. Um, yeah. Chelsea Asdan has got one. Yeah. But um, what I would like to do is. 
I had a blank. Oh yeah, I would like to get some Cali Kings across from America because our population is really inbred. So I would like to import like a dozen or so and distribute it to people that I think would want to breed and stuff and get some blood back into the UK that's not like messed up. Because my Cali is he messed up? Is he messed up? He is messed up. Is that the one with the kinked back? <laughs> yeah, he's not okay. <laughs> so you think that's an inbreeding thing? Mm. Oh, it is okay. Because they're all like it, but then you look at American books and they're like, "Yeah, Cali Kings are a great first pet. They're not the non-bitey." And us English people are like, "Non-bitey? What are you talking about?" So I think He's there's a himself. Bit of <laughs> but in other species, like inbreeding is linked with like increased aggression as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Just like emotional instability. Yeah, I mean, like I'll I'll clean this water bowl, put it back in there, and he'll just come over to the water bowl and start chewing it for the next half an hour. Really? Wow! Because he's like can smell my hands touched it. Jeez. Yeah, he's not he's not right. <laughs> you ain't right. <laughs> he's not right in the head. Technically, Cali Kings and MK is the same snake. I think no, they were. No, they're not. So they were both common king snakes. It was Lampropotus getula. Um, there's Lampropotus getula, and then it all got split in subspecies. Then there's Lampropotus getula californiae, and then Lampropotus getula negrita. Make sure I say that one right. Um, and then you've got... Um, it, then they synonymized MBKs with Cali Kings, and they're both Lampropotus californiae. And now they've been split again, and MBKs have been given full species status. So it's Lampropotus californiae, and then Lampropotus negrita. So MBKs are their own separate species for now. Give them five minutes. Yeah. Get but that's so important why it's important to just breed them separately in the hobby because you could be like, oh, right, they're Kelly Kings now and just hybridize it all and make it like a mess. Um, and then. Is there an integration zone in the wild? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there is. Okay. All of it across the board. Like, so the Kelly Kings integrate with the Desert Kings, and the Desert Kings integrate with the Kelly Kings, and the Kelly Kings is a central mixing pot of like the Desert King, the Kelly King, and the Mexican Black King Snake. It's fascinating. So there's also like a like in Baja California, the one that's owned by Mexico, that looks like Peninsula. Yeah. They've also got like a different Cali King that used to be its own thing, but now it's not. It's just been synonymized with the Cali King. So there used to be the Baja Cal uh, California King Snake, but now it doesn't exist. It's just Cali King. They 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 can't make up their minds with California King Snakes and stuff. I just yeah, find that really exciting. It's tough when they're so like pervasive across the entire continent or entire. Well, yeah, really continent that uh, they constantly interbreed and creating different species is difficult. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you do, uh, lead with this one, Dylan. What is the most unreasonable reptile you'd like to own if if you could, uh, like if you could do everything perfect and so on? Um, oh, God, that's a hard one. Someone's already said caiman lizard. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Like, I, I for some reason reticulated python is always an animal that i would love to own but i would never want to own us even if like i could keep uh it in this huge enclosure i like i find them very beautiful they're super intelligent and they are amazing animals but i don't i would never want to feed a 20 foot <laughs> reticulated python like that enough is just like i don't want to do that so i maybe even a type of caiman i think would be cool if you could do like a proper water feature in a pond, that would be fun because you could easily, uh, more easily target train it. Although apparently they're pretty aggressive too. Like I'm not interested in getting hurt by a reptile. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, you know what? I would love to keep a Gila monster. That's not that unreasonable. They're mm, venomous. Cool. So it depends on your bylaws or whatever in your area. But I, I love that species. Maybe one day that's a species that I would keep. What about you, Ellie? Oh, God. <laughs> 
I don't know. I think um, I really like Monitor Lizard, but I feel like currently in my life, I'm not in a position where I would ever be able to do it justice. Even the like smaller species, they just need so much. Hypothetically, though, if you could do everything perfect and so on. You have a million dollars. Probably be like something like a Galapagos tortoise. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, you could buy our Dabras pretty easily. We know one for sale near us. Really? Mm. Yeah. I think like an alligator. I really like alligators. We went to like American alligators. American alligator. I re or a Chinese alligator, a bit smaller would be better. But I mean, if I was a millionaire, like, I'd, I'd come out a dragon. <laughs> yeah. If I was minted and there was no obstacles, no limits, um, a croc monitor would be cool. I, I would want to give it like that enclosure at Marwell Zoo. Nothing more, nothing less. Like if you can't give if you can't give a zoo animal a zoo enclosure, you don't buy a zoo animal. Yeah, this is why I don't understand the giant snake thing. Why buy a zoo animal if you can't give it a zoo enclosure? It makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I can a hundred percent see the allure. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. How beautiful reticulated pythons are. How beautiful berms are. Mm -hmm. I think people have. Um, we'll say politely a peeing contest with how big their snakes can be. But also to, to me, it just goes to like, how, how, how can you even conceptualize keeping an animal that big? It just like seems so unreasonable and unrealistic, but yeah, it, it's, it is kind of bizarre. I actually, um, messaged Sean about coming on the podcast. So fingers crossed on that one. That'd be a cool episode. Is that who owns uh, crocodiles of the world? The director. Yeah. The one so is that a private collection that just became a zoo? Yes. That's crocodile awesome. guy it's really cool Dylan. that's a good move it's really cool also the best welfare i've ever seen for green tree pythons emerald tree boas green tree monitors well so they do that's really good well uh, supposedly the geckos would have been <laughs> yeah we won't talk about that <laughs> Let's not um, talk about the geckos that didn't exist. The abominable gecko that Eddie spent the entire day looking for. I like this. Con I, I wouldn't feed or retake a pig. I got pot belly pigs. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of... It's like feeding a snake your like dogs while you have dogs. <laughs> it's just not... Yeah. I, that would be tough. I mean, people have pet rats and keep snakes too. Do you remember the episode we did with um, Jen, the welfare and ethics episode? Yep, yeah. Talking about like utilitarianism and things like that. I've been vegetarian since then. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've copied Ellie. But so well, everyone thinks that I did it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> so were you a vegetarian before? Yeah, As, I have yeah, okay. been since I was like a kid. So okay. Interesting. So many people have been like, "You're doing that for Ellie, are you?" I'm like, "No, just a, a one episode I did of a podcast has just convinced me." <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. Good for her. Yeah, I mean, it, like the whole thing of like, how can you complain how snakes being kept when the snake still gets its right to life? But yeah, you're gonna go eat something when you don't actually need it. Yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, fair, fair, right, sorted, done. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's an interesting one. I mean, then you, what about like the crops, like killing all the animals within the crops, those types of things? Like, there's, there's so many layers to it. But that's where it's utilitarianism. So you can justify um, things because you need it to survive. So you have to have the, the, the crops because you have to 
eat that because you cannot survive without it, whereas you can't survive without the meat. So like th th that can be justified under utilitarianism um, because it's um, life or death. But um, you could also just eat like chickens. Like if you had your own chickens, maybe chickens wouldn't be a bad, a, a good example. Maybe there's not enough fat, but you could live off just beef, for example. What if you just raised um, one cow and just ate that and then killed another cow and ate that? That would be the same. But you're still killing something and taking away its right to life. But but because it's like what but you're also killing things in the crops as well right and you're saying because you don't need the meat but then you don't need to kill those little rabbits you could kill the cow instead you could technically kill less things i think the argument also is that you have to cut the crops to feed the cow as well because you can't just raise a cow on the grass you could technically you can yeah if I had that much money, I uh <laughs> you could have one cow, kill it, eat it all year. I mean, I would I'd like to keep chickens and eat the eggs. I mean I'm still eating like eggs and stuff. So yeah, we do that. We have chickens. Do you? I've never I didn't know you had chickens. Yeah, my dad has chickens. Yeah, here I don't have them, but oh. we have chickens uh at the farm I grew up on. So we uh we get the eggs and then we'll we'll get the meat uh at the end of the year type thing. Right. Well you got you can have chickens yourself. You got a spare viv behind you. That's right. Yeah, put them in there. <laughs> Give fit one in there. Fit ones like one of those fat ones, like battery hens. Yeah, yeah. So there are videos on YouTube of, of a zoo, as he was on a few times. We had a unit trip to a zoo in undergrad. Yeah, like it's a, it's a cool zoo. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, have I talked to the? Uh, yeah, mm, I made a video criticizing it years ago, and he like sent me a DM saying pull it down, and I was like, no. <laughs> which one was that again i remember the video like it i remember this Ireland. happening i made like a really harsh one and then like remade it re-edited it changed my what i said because he was like please we're post-covid and we're not making money don't what do was, this to me what was the enclosure again um there's just a few th a few things that i was like that's so bad mm. then like a nocturnal room where it's like dark and some little dim leds lighting like individual enclosures and there's like a leopard gecko there with these little green leds lighting oh, it. And then, i was like really <laughs> but yeah let's not go into that let's not go into that even though i just did la, 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 uh welcome to the yeah i mean i've been i've been i've been i've been, I've been doing all right yeah i i haven't really like struggled with the food, the vegetarian food is quite nice. Oh, there's tons you can eat. It's a lot harder to go vegan. Yeah, I wouldn't go vegan. Like, it's just like I've got to this stage. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you could do lots being vegetarian, and uh, you probably feel better too. I mean, once you cut out meat, you cut out a lot of processed foods, or you, you kind of end up cutting out. You eat cleaner a lot of the time. Not necessarily because there's yeah, a lot of vegetarians out there who eat horrible. But I worked so popular pigs are amazing. Oh. Oh, that's cool. 19. 19, wow. Here's the thing, right? I don't know if I said this on Keeper Chats or whether I've just said it to Ashley. I can't remember. I have lots of phone calls to different people. Right, so when when large royals, when they eat a large meal, their organs enlarge to accommodate being able to digest a little breakdown of a big meal. And then obviously when they've digested it and they go back to normal, everything like shrinks back down again. But when people are keeping royals and they're feeding it a big meal weekly, that royal 
is never actually in a state of like its organs aren't enlarged. There's, mm. there's, when, when you're power feeding, its organs are literally enlarged to be it never comes out of like digestion mode. And so it's always just sat there. And then you wonder why it's like, oh, they, they, they don't move their pet rocks. I'm like, because they're digesting and they're always in a state of digestion because you're making them be like that. Um, well, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, even for people, we are always eating. Like we should be in a fasted state a lot more often than most of us are. And there's a ton of health benefits that come with that. You've done that, haven't you? Yeah, I've done some longer fasts, but even general, like I try to fast throughout the day as well, just to like prolong that. And, but if you're always digesting something, you're just never resting. Yeah, I mean, like, I think you've done like five days before, haven't you? My long, yeah, my longest one was five days. Yeah, that's bad. That, yeah, you get pretty hungry. <laughs> headaches, Do you get headaches and stuff. Um, I, I specifically weaned myself off coffee before. Like, I didn't do any coffee that that week either. So it was just water. So I got rid of the caffeine headache before I started that fast, and then, uh, no, I don't really remember headaches. I think I think I would still supplement with like some salt to make sure electrolytes were okay. Cause that's the one reason a lot of times you get headaches is like lack of electrolytes, but oh. yeah, you just get kind of weird by the end. Like <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting experience. How about that first meal though? After. Oh, I ate, I ate an entire watermelon. Like I was only, you're supposed to break your fast lightly, <laughs> but I just couldn't stop eating it. I'm like, I'm just going to eat this whole damn thing. It was good. This is a, a watermelon, not like loads and loads of like fries or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I tried to eat healthy when I broke the fast, but. I was only eating like a bit of watermelon, but I just was so hungry. I mean, your stomach is real shrank at that point, so that's mad. Yeah, but yeah, imagine imagine that. But you're like always, always full. Like that after that Christmas dinner feeling, but you're always full, and you never get to like have a break from that. Especially with the way the snakes eat, because they do eat such digestively intense meals you know it's mm -hmm. not like you're just eating a, a watermelon for example which is like you know gonna digest instantly it's like you're digesting bone hair tissue it's all, all got to go through the gut the digestive tract it's going to take a ton of energy just to burn and actually everybody should go watch because i see someone dylan how do you start stop feeding your boys how do you start stop feeding your bows? I assume like fasting the bows. Like when do I? Yeah, I don't do anything special. I, I mean the the uh, the photo period will shrink just a little bit by nature of the sun being out less where I am. But when I stop feeding them, I just stop feeding them. I just will feed them one last meal, normally like mid December, and then I won't feed them again until February. And it um, it works out totally fine. And I, I as I was saying, everybody should go to boa files youtube channel because jeff ronnie who's a real popular boa breeder in the states did a recently a really great video on just feeding boas and he talks about power feeding and how easy it is to power feed especially boas because they have such slow metabolisms and he talked about you know how you can't really stunt the growth of an animal you could or of, of a snake you could feed it less in its early years and therefore it will be smaller but whenever you want to start feeding that to maybe get ready for breeding it will you know quickly reach the size that that you're never going to stunt it. It will catch up based on the calories that you give it. And uh, it was just, it's really fascinating to hear how slowly he grows his boas. It was like four, four, five, six years before they hit sort of six feet, which is, you know, a big difference from what you see a lot on Facebook groups. You see six foot boas within their first two years. And he says, those animals will die. They'll just, there's just no way around it. Those, they'll be dead in four or five years. And uh, it, it was fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I assume that English is your second language, so, so no problem. Well, uh, that's why Barcheck in a video years ago said that the lifespan of Royals was eight years. Yeah, which is that's like insane. Off. When they like get into their 50s and 60s, and he said the lifespan was eight years, just shows how long that his uh, Royals were living for in his breeding collection. Yeah, but yeah, if you breed them like that. Yeah, I mean, like, I know our friend Ashley says he feeds his royals eight meals a year. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably what I yeah. feed my, my boas, yeah. It's it's mad how, especially when you see that, that guy is, like, taking them to, like, six years before they're, like, ready to breed. That must be he's doing it because he loves boas. Exactly. Because it can't be like a race to the next morph like royals are because he wouldn't be able to sustain it that way yeah so he must yeah. be just like slow and steady we're doing it for the pets we're doing it for the love of boas and we're just gonna stick with boas to the end of time and the longevity of the animal and that's that's what was really interesting because he talked about how in his early days he would if he had a new morph that he was working with he would race to get it up to breeding size or you know all these things that he would just never do now and and the other thing that he said that was really interesting which i've never heard a snake breeder say is animals that carry more morphs are more sensitive to overfeeding or just more sensitive in general. And that's the first time I've really heard like a specific morph breeder say that they are creating some fragility issues with the animals that they produce. And he didn't have any issues with it. He was just saying that when you do have these animals with these morphs, you do have to be more careful. And I've never heard anyone admit that really. They just go, yeah, they're, they're the same. There's no like any snake will do this <laughs> you know well it's like trying to walk around well i saw in some of the papers i read recently talking about some of the royal stuff they cited some like um stuff outside of things and like some some things they've done with pigs and, and cattle and things like that that have been bred for like efficiency for meat yield but also it's brought in things that they didn't expect like like they suffer in heat and things like that. They can't handle heat or they can't do this. And well, I wonder how many things are, are in certain lines in, in, in reptiles that we just haven't realized. It's like, we don't know what we're doing essentially. Yeah. Like, this yeah, morph exactly. game. We don't know what we're doing. All morphs have quirks. Yeah. I mean, that's is what that... a morph is. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of that? Ellie? About what? <laughs> <laughs> podcast host my ass so yeah we're talking about like how morphs of different things linked to them like um all i said about how in some some cattle and stuff like some of the things they bred for like obviously like meat yield and that came with like this inability to cope with like heat and things like that they didn't expect now so we were just talking about like in morphs and stuff we just don't know what we're doing so many links to link to things that we don't even do you think it's because of the speed as well, though? Because if we were doing slow and steady like this guy, we'd have been like, oh, we don't want that, we don't want that. Well, oh, I noticed this, have you noticed this? And like, yeah, and, and because it's such a race, and like, bam, 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 we're skipping and skipping ahead. That yeah. things just get looked over because it's not the priority, is it? Yeah, the, the end of life is never the thought. It's just, let's get the, the next clutch going. Well, yeah, technically the first ever banana royal python is meant to be alive because it wasn't 60 years ago that they found him. Uh, and he's nowhere to be seen. So... Mm. Was that a wild-caught animal? I believe so. There were two. So there's the bananas and the coral glows. Technically, they've realised that they are the same thing, but two different people found them roughly at the same time, and they 
thought that they had this brand new. Why did they, they think off. they were different when they look exactly the same? Whether you think or not, you'd say it, wouldn't you? Yeah. What's that? Whether you think it or not, you would say it, wouldn't you? And so yeah. it's like 20 grand at the time. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. Totally different. Give me your money. Yeah. <laughs> it's $5,000, $20,000. That's a house deposit. You can understand why people behave they did because, especially our generation now, like, we're, we're screwed in the UK. We're not going to be able to like, afford a house. Like, Oh, no. Same with Canada. Canada's insane right now. So, just... yeah. If someone was like, I'll give you 20 grand for like this color, you'd be like, mm hmm. Mm hmm. I have yeah. five. <laughs> yeah. These are all Ching. corals. <laughs> they look like normals. They're 20 grand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, bacon bits. Bacon bits makes it easier for me to <laughs> Bacon bits is life. <laughs> <laughs> I find crispy onion bits make make things like I had like a vegan Frankfurt, like we went to the American Museum in the UK and the crispy onions, oh, you know, that helps a lot. Yeah. This is a very blended conversation we're having. It's so funny. Yeah, it's good. Um, I don't really eat meat. Uh, oh, I'm hoping life will bear. I mean, like, it's one a bit cleaner, lose a bit of weight, you know. Um, as I as I say that, no one cares how you stay skinny, just jealous. But to know you keep, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just about like health and longevity. Also, I want to be doing reptiles and research for like decades. So, I want to eat in a way that's healthy for your like mind and longevity and all that. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. Um, we're, we're always talking about veg. I've started something. I didn't mean to start here. Um, right back to reptiles. <laughs> Do you think through eight years could be due to more power feeding? Or... Oh yeah, he definitely just yes. I mean, it could be it could be a number of things, right? It's I although obesity in snakes is a death sentence even more than in mammals, really, right? Because I think because it seems to cause organ issues a lot sooner. I don't know why or if it's just by the way because they don't have subcutaneous fat maybe that's why there's like we can store our fat in a in a pretty safe spot in in, in our skin or just below our skin where snakes can't do that so it, it immediately becomes like visceral dangerous fat i guess um but who knows i mean maybe there's stress there's um, but but you hear people keeping ball pythons in dark tubs for 20 plus years so that that's not enough to kill uh, to shorten a lifespan that much so it probably is a lot to do with the power feeding yeah, I mean, there's certainly still still a lot of rack breeders that keep in that certain way, but still obviously limit um, power feeding. Like power feeding is still an argued about thing within the subsection that don't keep in the way that I would necessarily approve of, but they still do breed things slowly in some ways. Yeah. Um, we have we have a super chat. Nice. What is that? Thank you very much, Lee Kessner. How do you feel about putting breed registries for reptiles, uh, especially ones to avoid inbreeding? I mean, yeah, I would do it. Like, what I would like to do is like a like a one for like king snakes in the UK because king snakes are rare and rare in the UK, apart from like Callies and like MBKs now. But for your your eastern chains and your speckles and things like that, they're like blood diamonds. So, um, yeah, I think I think breeding registries. I mean, they they use them a lot in the turtle world, right? Those are pretty, like they're a lot more common with stud books and whatnot, and even in Europe, you guys have the European stud book is quite a lot of different species in there. Yeah, 
there's a lot of like Egyptian torches and things like that. I mean, I think it depends. If it's like really endangered, then it tends to happen. But like mm-hmm. when it's something that's so common, just for doing it, just for the health reasons, just for, for the love of the animals, people don't bother. Um, but I would like to do it for like Grey Band of King's Necks and things like that, just to keep things happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do it within your own collection and like work out like different. Like you had that Lepigeku lady. Um, who does like coaching people how to do things properly? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I might, I might have a go with that and see what she says. Um, it's more for like line breeding, but I mean, you could take, pick and choose what you want to use that's worthwhile and go from there, can't you? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much, Lee. Once again, that was cool. Um, I'm curious as to how wasps can affect species that utilize visual communication through changing intensity of the patterns. Yeah, like UVA and reflection stuff, like anoles that have like the flaps and things. Like that. I, I don't know. We don't know is the answer. Not to mention the actual damage the the actual eye could could have as well. You know, when you get into albinos and whatnot. We talked about this last week, I think, on the keeper chat. It's like you know, the you are removing their ability to see in a lot of ways in in in, in some instances, which clearly would <laughs> really disrupt visual communication. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like wavelength use of reptiles that people just don't realize. Like, obviously, I've I've been banging the drum for years, but royals and the UVI receptors in their eyes, they need UV to see their entire like spectrum. I mean, there's even a study on like these vets in Italy would cut cut a royal and then use like infrared lasers to heal the wounds. Mm. But it's 980 nanometers, which is a heat lamp. Right. So, yeah. like, there's all this stuff like collagen stuff for healing um, when things could just have heat lamps and stuff in enclosures. Well, when it comes to our eyes and stuff. Like, with this crested gecko, I've never had a heat lamp on him because he's always been in this small exoterra. I just couldn't do it because it would just get too hot. And so, the, for, for the first time, he'll actually, it's just, I put a 25 watt just like exoterra daytime. So it's not a halogen, but it still has plenty of infrared, obviously. And, uh, the first thing he did is, is go up underneath it. And it's probably one of those myths where people are like, you can't over, you know, you can easily overheat leopard ge- or crested geckos, which I think is true in these glass enclosures when you don't have a lot of space for them to get away from it. But it was just interesting to see him. He's never interacted with that wavelength before. And he's probably like, damn, I've 18 years. I've been waiting for this. Did you try it in, in it before and it got too hot? Yeah, you know, I never tried in this location. I've only been here for a year and a half, but in my old place, it would just, the room itself would get hot, like almost dangerously hot for him, you know, like it would get close to at the top of his temperature range without a heat lamp. So it was just like not feasible. But it's, it's worth a go. I mean, like I've put heat lamps on like far small exoterras and like shops and stuff, and they're like warm. So, well, they make I mean, these little ones now, like. That little dome right there, you can fit these little, like, what are they, 12 watt? I don't even know what they are. They're real small bulbs. And I probably could have done that. Ones. Uh, th- that one's, uh, forget. That one might be Zoomed. They're like really short, like that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, real short, like real, like a stocky stem. And the actual bulb is like quite small. It's good for things like that. Though. Like hatchlings would be cool. As like, when breeding, I don't want to put things in racks. I want to like, I'm starting to get to the point where like temporary doesn't matter to me. Like I either do it properly or I don't. Yeah. So, like I had things in like enclosures long as long as they are with like UV and everything. But I want to have like little stations of like they're like mini enclosures. Um, 
And then if you do that and then still show a profit, it's like step up your game, guys. Yeah, exactly. If everyone says like you can't make money doing it. It's like, mm, is it you can't make money or you just can't make as much money? Well, I always tell the story or I always think about telling the story is, is uh, from TC Houston's experience with adding full spectrum lighting to his skinks. Mm-hmm. So he, and I'm, I'm going to mix up the numbers. So I'll just try to use general terms. He has, he's been breeding skinks for a long time. The year before he added this, the full spectrum lighting, he got X number of babies. The next year he was breeding again, but this time his animals had UV and infrared but he didn't want to have as many babies as the previous year because he just didn't have time to sell them and just didn't want the commitment of that many babies. So he halved the number of females that he used that year. And in the end, he had twice as many babies. So he used half as many breeders and it resulted in twice as many babies. And the only thing he changed was the lighting. You can imagine having infrared and UV probably helps field development for these. Maybe, you know, their litter sizes were way larger. Obviously, they weren't they were four times larger right because he's having half as many females produce twice as many babies so it's it's just an incredible amount so yeah he probably had to spend way more on lighting but now he's doubling his profit so not necessarily spending more or losing more but yet people are so hesitant to even just give it a go yeah exactly do it on one female that you've got literally records for for all her clutch sizes and just see if it changes it there's like yeah no no <laughs> no i won't do that all right cool mm-hmm. So I'll do it myself. Yeah. Uh, UK needs it. Well, I assume that means like all the like um, stubbook stuff. Yep. The UK is a mess. That's the one thing I'll say about the US. That, like, even though there's a lot of rack, racky rackiness, but there's still like, here's my lineage of this. And it's like the Applegate line of these kings. Like, people are oh, very yeah, much yeah. organized. The UK, it's like free for all. No one keeps any lineage. No one cares. Doesn't matter. So yeah, so it does need it, and we, it needs the culture of it as well. And hopefully, we can like show how cool it can be. Just need, need king snakes, even if we just do it with king snakes, just like a pair of each thing. If you if everyone's like, I want this king snake, but I know that guy's got it. But the website's like kingsnakes.co.uk, and it's just that, and it's just like all the information you need, and then also you can get the king snakes from there. Bam! And you can just go back 2010, 2008, whatever, yeah, all the way back to the lineages. That's cool. That's the dream I've got in my head. Yeah, there's actually a lot of people in the state, like people that casually, I shouldn't say casually do it. They do it seriously, but they're just doing it for their own collection. Like Nick Mutton's a good example with his carpet pythons. Like he has like, his lineage just goes far back as you can. He's a very detailed oriented person. So that that's cool. I mean, if you buy an animal from him, you don't have to question. Like it's weird when you buy an animal from a breeder and you can only get information about the parent of that animal. And they're almost annoyed at you asking further questions about deeper generations. It's like, that should be a passion for you. You should be like, oh, like, let me pull up the chart. This is going to be cool. Like, I'm about to blow your mind. Rather than like, I don't know. Why are you asking yeah. me? It's the snake that you wanted. I mean, I sold all the MBK babies to Ashley. And as I was tubbing them up, some of them were like, absolutely not. And they were like squirming and tail rattling and then like musking. Some of them, I picked them up and they were like, cool. And just like, la, 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 I put them on top. And it was like, you, you, you can see the cloaca. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll like hold it open and like threaten to, or, or mm. if they're like thinking about it. <laughs> um, and I would literally watch them, and the cloaca doesn't even move. Like the little vent doesn't open. Yeah. And like I would move you on, I might hold on to you to breed from you and breed for like this calm disposition. Exactly. And it's not even like just for calmness. What you're breeding for is like acceptance of a higher threshold of like 
Stress. Stress. So some things can have like a really big flight distance of like some prey item and like 10 meters away. If you get within 10 meters, they're like, I'm out. Whereas if you could breed them to like nine meters, eight meters, and eventually get to like, they don't care. Yeah. In theory. And I would, even with king snakes, sort of like breed some of the behaviors you want into them and things like that. So not only that, but then like when you list babies or like a biography. So if you're like, this one's a little bit rattly, this one doesn't even open the Quaker, this one's gold. Um, so even like this, this like, bronze silver gold or like biography of their behaviors and everything i just want to go like hardcore like no one's ever done before that would be cool and sell nothing leave <laughs> <laughs> them all for yourself yeah yeah we'll see i'll give it a go why not um we've got lots of these cricket gut loading um i was editing video it's a good boy in a video knows it's food um my is that beard of dragon I assume I so. so. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, Bear the Dragons can be recall trained, so you can literally call them, they come running. That's so cool. They can do it with rats and stuff as well. That's cool. Uh, I think the key is that rat companies have to change uh, well, that as well as like the attitude needs to change. I mean, if I'm a business, right, and everyone wants racks, and I'm like, I'm selling these enclosures, but no one's buying them. But if I produce racks, like they're going to come flying off the shelves. <laughs> I'm going to produce racks. So we have to have a culture of like, we want change and we want to do better. That's why like custom reptile habitats is going to do some cool stuff with like breeding enclosures. Yeah. There's some really cool ideas he's working on. Yeah. And um, hopefully I'll be able to show some of that off. But I mean, I suppose like a company could just be like, we're going to put lights in a rack. And then, because you have to produce it to see what the interest is going to be in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then if you, that goes flying off the shelves and that encourages other companies to like make their competitors to that product. But uh, someone's got to stop playing. Um, great podcast. Thank you very much. See you later, geez. Oh, thanks. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah. Well, we should I actually we should probably wrap up relatively it's almost my daycare time so we could we probably don't want to go down any more too many more rabbit holes no problem no but problem. i uh, i do a second g's comment there this was awesome this is lots of fun i do enjoy enjoy the interactions we don't have to actually. stop instantly right now but in the next like couple of minutes probably okay why don't we just like rattle through the rest of the sure. comments and then we'll start wrapping this up cheers guys gotta to go to bed you basically made it the entire way so cool thanks man nice. um yeah yeah we're not gonna go down yeah. that we're done with that <laughs> agree um <laughs> for in the uk but i'm getting the heartbeat yeah maybe 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 people will be able to in the future um fair um mm. thank you very much i'm gina lovely okay cool well i think what we're gonna do is wrap this up thank you everyone for hanging out with us for this first ever prototype live episode um i have to see what happens with the audio sides and get to for spotify and stuff dylan but thank you very much everyone thank you so much for joining everyone's just leaving comments just as we're wrapping up yeah um if you're just dropping in now we're about to wrap up but there's you can go back on youtube and watch we're leaving too. right we need to let dylan go so that he can go be a, be a
be a dad. <laughs> I don't have um, to go to daycare. I have to pick up my son from daycare for anyone wondering. <laughs> okay, cool. Right, it's we're gonna let you go. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Um, thank you very much. Thanks, we're guys. This is awesome. Bye bye, guys. Bye bye.